Hi, everybody. Welcome to Realty Speak, the podcast where experts answer questions and share real-world examples that you, the listener, can incorporate as part of your real estate investment strategy to build up revenue, realize higher returns, and retain more profit when you sell. Without further ado, here is yours truly, Bill Widener, and this episode's guests. Today, I welcome Vinny Saunders, Territory Manager at Matrix Fitness, a fitness center design and equipment company. Joining Vinny is his friend and loyal customer, Jeff Yakmetz, Chief Operating Officer of Development and Construction at Slate Property Group. Slate is a real estate investment and development company whose portfolio includes multifamily, mixed-use, retail, office, land, and development sites. Welcome to Realty Speak, Vinny and Jeff. Good morning, Bill. Thanks so much for having us in today. Hi, Bill. Good morning. Thanks for having us on today. Great to have you guys. Today's topic, we're going to focus on the added value that comes from the inclusion of amenities in residential apartment buildings. But first, would each of you share a little bit about yourselves and how you first connected, Jeff? Sure, Bill. I'm the chief operating officer at Slate Property Group, and Vinny and I got together probably about a year ago through a connection that we have in the industry. And Vinny became our fitness consultant working on a variety of projects where we would go to Vinny, he would propose different types of fitness equipment for us and how it would work with our development. From there, we just uh, started working on projects together and, um, and developed a, a professional relationship. And what's your uh, background? How did you uh, come to Slate Property Group? I've been in the industry for about 15 years, working for a variety of different real estate developers. I worked initially on the engineering side and then moved to the real estate development side and specifically residential development, working in all around New York City, all the boroughs, and specifically heading up development and construction projects. Do you have some construction background as well then? I actually studied engineering and practiced engineering for about five years before I got into real estate development. And I took that knowledge and then applied it to development. And I went to grad school specifically focusing on real estate development. And I moved on to the development side 15 years ago. So you have a graduate degree in real estate development? I I do, from Columbia. Two of my previous guests also had degrees from Columbia in real estate development, the uh, land use and zoning episode. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a great, great program at Columbia. In one of the other episodes, I have an author who wrote the book on uh, analysis metrics. And he's a assistant adjunct professor in the real estate development program at Columbia University. Glad that that's your alma mater and that we have you here today and uh, that you're in great company of previous guests. Vinny. I'm the territory manager for Matrix Fitness. We're one of the largest manufacturers of fitness equipment in the world. Right now, we're on five different continents in 26 countries, and we have more than 70 wholly owned subsidiaries. I have a bachelor's degree in accounting and kind of fell into this about 12 years ago, straight out of college. Never looked back. It was amazing. Found something I could really sink my teeth into and uh, and develop sales. So you got into sales because you didn't have the personality to be an accountant? That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, (laughs) They put me in a a little box and I I just, I had to get out. Right, right, right. (laughs) Thanks for being here, guys. Really looking forward to our talk today. And thanks for sharing with us a little bit about your background. So when we talk about amenities, previously one would see in a building that the amenity was the small fitness area in a windowless room, often in the building's basement, that included one multi-purpose exercise machine, a few free weights, and if you were lucky, a water fountain. 
Now, new developments of multifamily buildings are including in the design multiple amenities like business centers, lounges, roof decks, pools, and as we'll talk about today, luxurious fitness clubs that rival and sometimes exceed what one would expect at a commercial club like, say, Equinox. And now it's in the building and it's just an elevator ride away for the residents. No doubt there has been a shift from the desire to max out net rentable space for the most revenue to a new business plan that gives up some of the space and rental revenue to satisfy this expectation of experiential living. What's up with that? Oh, Bill, how times have changed. The name of the game today is how do you set yourself apart from your competitors? It's an ultra, ultra competitive market. There's a variety of ways to do it, but one of the ways is focusing on your amenity space. The gym is, it's, a, it's an important piece of that amenity package. And people want to have that high-end, luxurious fitness center inside of their building that, you know, like you said, rivals Equinox and, and some other gyms. So we really, really focus a lot of our effort on making that a real interesting piece of, of our development program. So do you feel like it's something that's necessary at this point and that this shift away from maxing out the net rentable space for apartments and going to filling up other space in the building with a gym or a lounge or a roof deck, does that end up being more profitable at some point or is it just a marketing tool? It's not just a marketing tool anymore. It has become a piece of the business plan. And sure, every square foot, uh, uh, every square inch of that building is utilized through very strategic planning and a lot of you know forward thinking we look for spots where we can put these amenities in the building where they might not be the highest and best use for, say, let's say, a residential apartment. For example, maybe we'll put the gym on the third or the second floor where that might not be a highly sought after apartment, but it's a great location for a gym. Part of what Slate does is not just residential. It's also other things like retail, shopping centers and offices. Do you find yourselves putting uh, this type of amenity in those projects as well? We do focus on amenities and those kind of assets as well, whether it be hospitality or whether it be a um, office commercial space. And, you know, it might not, it, it, sometimes it's not a gym, maybe in a commercial office working space, it's a, a daycare or a children's playroom, or if it's in hospitality, it could be a location for food and beverage. Or So we do focus uh, a lot of our efforts on, okay, what works well with, you know, what specific type of asset. And what about the difference between, say, a new development and a building that you're converting from its existing residential use to a gut renovation, and now you're going to put in these amenity spaces, and that type of project as opposed to new construction where you have more control designing it into the plan? It's all about getting ahead and really thinking strategically about the space and what does the space have to offer? What kind of constraints does it have? Whereas, you know, when you're doing a new ground up building, you control your own destiny. But when you're working with an existing asset, you kind of really have to think about, okay, how does the building lay out? How does the, how does the column grid work? It really requires a little bit more planning, a little bit more strategy. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it really does pay off. And Vinny, what are you finding is the audience of your particular offering 
of uh, fitness centers. Is it the existing building? Is it the new development? Is it a combination of both? Yeah, definitely a combination of both. I would say it's going to be, be predominantly more the new development because that's just a lot more of what's out there in the market right now. But as they're refreshing these older buildings, that's become a main focus. Vinny, when you're going into one of these projects, what's the process? What happens? Let's talk first about uh, the new development project. How involved do you and Matrix get in the planning? Best way to describe that would be as early as possible. If it's a new development project, a lot of the times we are even involved before they break ground. Uh, We're given the schematics of the building um, in a 2D PDF form, given basically a white box and asked what are our recommendations from there? What would we do with that space? Uh, then we'll, uh, the kind of design process follows where we would just take that, put it into 3D renderings, and, and make that space as functional as possible. So you're not just providing the equipment. You're actually providing consulting to the planning of it. That's correct. The equipment delivery is the final process, but up until that, it could be 18, 24 months of consulting, and it's a long, pro- it's a long process. But I, you know, to me... The consulting process, working with them, trying to figure out the space, things that work best, and t- talking with interior designers and architects and, and the developers themselves, that's the fun part. It's not just taking a bunch of fitness equipment and putting it in a room and hoping it fits and say, well, we'll put this here. Oh, I guess that didn't work, so we'll put it there instead. You were really envisioning this and seeing it in advance so that when the amenity is done, it brings the highest value to the owner of the building. Absolutely. And that's one of the things we can do now with the 3D software we use is we can actually sit into the room, walk the room and see how it'll actually lay out once we're in there. And more than just try to replicate somebody else's gym and pack the room with equipment, we try to do stuff that's a lot more on trend now in actual the fitness environment itself. So is that augmented reality or virtual reality? Yeah, we can use virtual reality, Oculus Rift, stuff like that. Wow. Oh. As a developer, we really like getting our consultants involved as early as possible. Even though the building is still sort of, you know, only on paper, we're getting our consultants in like brokers and consultants like Vinny to give us that insight because what it allows us to do is it allows us to very intelligently lay out the building and for our end user, which is which is really the name of the game. It's to get the, the highest and best use and the most interesting layouts that we can get. Jeff, when you have this raw land or a building that you're going to convert, which basically almost makes it a brand new building, and you're having that first meeting of what are we going to put here? Who is at that meeting? You know, that meeting usually starts with not only our design consultants, but also our leasing brokers and any kind of consultants that we're working with on the amenity side. Vinny would be part of that meeting. Definitely. From the marketing standpoint, it's almost important to have their input and have their input give us the right fit, the right layout, the right gym layout, the right amenity space layout. Because for us to go down the wrong path and have a building that really doesn't appeal to your end user, which is your buyer, your renter, could be catastrophic for a new development. Are you also looking at other projects that are going to be coming to market about the same time that yours is coming to market? Are you looking at data on that to see what your competition is going to be at that time? Oh, absolutely. We're touring other projects. We're uh, getting feedback from the market, getting feedback from the brokers, trying to get feedback from the renter themselves, trying to get that, that great sort of insight, anything that we can do to sort of make that building more appealing. So it's really just not a place to live anymore. It's an experience. 
It's a total experience. It really is. It's a, uh, it's a community. It's, you know, from everything from building relationships within the building, within the tenancy, it's kind of giving the, the tenants the experience. It's sort of appealing to the renter that's not in the building yet. We try to really focus on that sort of total package when we're thinking about these new developments because the market is just so ultra competitive. Is your market primarily the five boroughs in New York City? Yes, our markets are New York City. We are looking at um, LA right now because we're finding value in LA. And we're also really focusing on New York City and five-year forward-looking, like what is going to be the next emerging market. That really is the name of the game because as to stay one step ahead of the marketplace is how you really find the value. And I know everybody has read the news that Amazon has just announced their new headquarters in Long Island City. We're now not even looking in in Long Island City for residential, but we're actually pushing the boundaries now to Astoria and past Astoria because that's where we're finding the value. What about other markets in the middle of the country? LA's on one coast, New York City's on the other. We don't focus in in the middle of the country that we really kind of try to stay to the, the major sort of metropolitan hubs. For us, it's staying with what we know. Any particular reason for that that you can share? You know, just the space that we're in, we like the underutilized asset that's, um, that we can find value in. And finding value is really the name of the game. And when you see these metropolitan, these big sort of hub markets, you can find the value a little bit easier than you would in some of those tertiary and secondary markets that are in the middle of the country. Going back to the amenities, what are some of the other amenities that you're putting into your buildings? They really can range from a lounge, a children's playroom within the lounge, kind of divide it into different sections. We will have like a gaming section and like a library. Again, we focus heavily on the end user and what is our target audience, right? So for example, in the Upper East Side, where it's more family oriented, we're going to put in a children's playroom. We're going to put in sort of like maybe a, a nanny room. We're going we're gonna to look at who our end user is. Whereas uh, in another market, for example, downtown Brooklyn, primarily young professionals, we're going to do the, the high-end um, lounge with maybe the golf simulator, or we're going to have the, the hotel feel kind of lounge where people can have a cocktail after work or on the weekends or the outdoor roof deck with the grill. So it really does depend on who our, who our target audience is. The building that I'm in actually has a rooftop with a grill. Love having a backyard in New York City. It's incredible. And it's really not a very expensive amenity when you think about it. If you have a roof deck already, you throw in a couple of gas grills. The outdoor space is one of those amenities that it keeps kind of coming up on the on the market data, but it's how do you separate yourself from just having your your standard run-of-the-mill roof deck? Now it's getting to the point where, you know, you have uh, a grill and that grill is not just going to be a single grill. It's going to be a chef's grill and it's going to have a wet bar associated next to it. And you're going to have an outdoor eating area where people could have dinner parties in the summertime. And then the same thing, you want to incorporate that into your gym space. For example, we put a gym on, on the roof where we have the incredible views when people are working out. Vinny actually worked with us very closely when we were designing this gym to maximize everything that that location on the roof had to offer us. Vinny, talk to us a little bit about that particular project, the planning that went into it, the timeline for the design and the installation. Oh, yeah. So Jeff's talking about the Oriana, which is at 420 East 54th Street. And that was an incredible project. It was great to be a part of it. And it was totally unique because 
they took it a 38-story existing building and added basically an additional functional floor to it by utilizing the rooftop. And they split that roof in half with east and west views, and they put the entire gym, the cardio floor, facing out on the east side so that you get your first views of the day with the sunrise. And then you have your lounge and your grill and your cabanas and your seating all the way on the on the west side. So you get your, your sunsets when you come home from work and relax with a drink over there. So it was a really unique project. They had to extend the elevator up an extra floor up to the 39th floor. The whole building was under construction the entire time, moving people around. It was it was an incredible thing to see and an incredible amount of manpower and hours that went into this project. That project is a great example of the forward thinking and, and planning and Benny got involved early on with me and we, we really spent a lot of time like looking at layouts and looking at utilization of the space and you know what is going to be the proper sort of mix of uh, pieces of equipment and we pulled the existing tenancy and, and the marketplace and we we went around and I actually did some due diligence in gyms and looked at okay you know who's using what I talked to the gym managers to find out okay well, you know what, what's your most you know popular piece of equipment and how many people are waiting you know for that piece of equipment and when we were planning this we actually um, we set up sort of a a, a mock up so that um, where we put a ladder on the roof so people could we could get a sense of what the people's views would be when they were working out so it was, it was so important for us to get that experience right. We took photographs and we kind of used that as in our marketing, like, oh, imagine yourself working out on this treadmill, watching the sunrise over Long Island in the morning. Worked out very well for us. Do you have any available apartments there? We do. We, you know, although they are going quick, I mean, it's a very popular location. It's a great building and we continue to deliver floors and uh, we have two floors left and we put them on the market and they're gone. You know, they go real quick. Let's get into revenue and expenses around all of this. Because uh, we did talk a little bit earlier about the fact that you're giving up rental space, but it sounds to me like in some ways, this could end up being way more profitable than the rental space would have been if it was just an apartment. And obviously on a roof deck, you really can't have an apartment. Uh, Let's talk about all these different costs that are associated with this and then also the cost to actually create the space in the first place. And let's focus on the fitness centers. Vinny, I want you to talk a little bit about what a typical fitness center would cost from start to finish, including the planning, the design, the curement of all the equipment, and then the installation of the fitness center. And then, Jeff, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the costs associated with this amenity. For example, the extra heat, the air conditioning, the lighting, the maintenance, additional staff. When we were sitting before we started recording, you talked a little bit about hiring people to actually come in and be part of the gym to do classes or training. And then what about reserves? Like, What's the expectation of life for one of these amenity spaces? What kind of reserves are you putting aside to replace it when it needs to be replaced? Vinny, why don't you start? I found that there's kind of like two ends of that spectrum when it talks to, when you talk about designing and, uh, and equipping a good amenity space. And I feel like you get developers that kind of lean one way or the other. You get uh, developers like Slate where they understand that it's a race to be better and better and better than the next guy out there to continually put, be putting out a better product. And then you get a developer that I've had the conversation with that says, hey, you know, we feel that people don't really use our amenity spaces at all. And then I just have to be honest with them and say, hey, look, if you design them as an afterthought, they're going to be used as an afterthought. And that's really 
the best advice I could give. When you really take the time, like Slate does, to nitpick and do your due diligence and plan and get professionals in there that that know what they're doing, it's going to be an outstanding product. They constantly are trying to create ways to engage the people that live there. That even goes down as far as the cardio. You know, they could send out messages across the cardio screen while somebody's working out to say, don't forget to join us tonight for the mixology class on the roof deck or the ALS walk this weekend in the park or something else like that and calls to action for the people that live there to create that that sense of community and engagement. We provide the tools for them to stream their own on-demand content, social media platforms, things like that. You just want to make it an extension of their home. What's the typical size of a fitness center? And what about the typical cost, if, if that's something that you can share with us? There is none. Everything's, to- everything's totally different, and it depends on which borough we're even talking about. In New York City, space is a premium. We could be talking about 600 to 800 square feet. And if we go out to Long Island City, where they typically have an amenity building, we could be talking about 2,500 to 4,000 square feet. The budget is well into the six figures. So if we talk about, say, a 800 square foot, well-equipped fitness center, the equipment alone is going to be six figures? It could be. Depends on which level of technology they want to incorporate in there. We don't try to just pack the room full of equipment. One of the things that we're actually doing with Jeff's building at the Oriana is they have two apartments on the second floor, which they feel would be underutilized. So we're going to take those two apartments and we're going to make one more of like a strength and functional training room. The other one is going to be more of like a yoga and wellness studio. And that strength and functional training room, instead of jamming it full of equipment, we're actually going to be putting a, a huge strip of turf in there. And that way people could come in with their YouTube trainer or their personal trainer on Instagram and be able to, we just provide them the tools to have the functional fun workout. And if they want to go do a selectorized workout down a circuit line, they can go down to Planet Fitness. To Vinny's point, it's really important that you understand the feedback you're getting from your tenants and the market and your ability to kind of pivot is so important. And and that's, the, you know, what Vinny was talking about is a perfect example of that where, you know, we got feedback, tenants wanted some more space to do sort of group fitness or sort of that um, outdoor training. And we had this space that we, we were never really happy with. And all of a sudden we pivoted and, and sort of gave an, another amenity where there wasn't previously amenity. Jeff, you're penciling your analysis for a development that you're getting ready to plan and complete. And obviously you've got your per square foot costs of all the different kind of space that's going to be in that building so that you can figure out what your hard costs are going to be. When you're thinking fitness center, is there an number that you use, you know, this much per square foot or that much per square foot that's going to include the insulation of the equipment, the equipment itself, and then, of course, you know, the room. We don't look at it specifically per square foot for the individual space. We kind of look at the amenity line item as a total number, then we'll take across the board per square foot number on the development cost and the performa. We really do understand that this is an amenity that's a closing tool, but then it can also be a financial component of the performa of the business plan that it will actually you know, increase the NOI uh, of the building and ultimately generate income. Well, explain that to me because you have the original cost of it and then you have the maintenance of it, which I touched on before, the electrical, the staff, the cleaning, the lighting, the air conditioning, the heat. How are you converting all that 
into increasing that bottom line, the NOI, the net operating income, and then ultimately increasing the value of the building over time with all that expense. So the one way that we look at it, depending on the development for a year, throw in the amenity space, the package at no cost, and really get the tenancy to sort of get a feel for it and and get the sort of popularity of the space. And then ultimately, we will start to charge a, a very nominal fee for utilizing the space. You're getting full use of not only the gym, you're getting the lounge, the playroom, for much less of what it would cost for a singular high-end gym in the city of New York. So you have all of these different spaces for the same cost, if not less, right in your building than you would pay for, let's say, like a high-end fitness membership. Let's use an example. We could use the Oriana or if it's too early to tell, maybe some other buildings that you worked on. Let's pick a building and say how many residents are in that building. So there's 414 apartments at Oriana. And in terms of number of residents, we're probably 1,200 to 1,300 people. Let's be conservative and say 1,200 people. Of those 1,200 people, how many are going to sign up for the amenity package? In this particular example, we make basically per apartment or per resident a flat rate. So it's not yes or no, it's, it's everyone gets a charge. Oh, everyone gets a charge. All right. right. So if there are 1,200 people, and again, we're remaining conservative, let's say it's how much? 75 to $100 a month. So I'm a numbers guy, and I always like to figure it out. So when I did that calculation, I came up with $90,000. Per month. Per month. That's right. Per month. There were 12 months in a year, at least last time I looked, there was. And that is a million eighty thousand dollars. A million eighty. Right. And then what would you say the expenses are on that million eighty? I mean, so a space like that, maybe it's um, 2 to 3%. Two to three percent. Yeah, it's very it's very low because you know you're only talking about um, you know energy consumption and our, our building staff. It's I mean I, I would say it's relatively minor. I'm going to remain conservative. I'm going to say five percent, and so that brings us down to a million twenty six. So at a five cap, that's twenty and a half million dollars. So you just added yeah you just added over twenty million dollars of value to the building. Yeah, and I don't think it cost twenty million dollars to put that there, did it? No, no, that's no. very like, good. <laughs> like it's 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 a it's a great uh, return on investment. It really is. Vinny, I think your phone's going to start ringing off the hook, and your email's going to be <laughs> pinging you on your phone. <laughs> We're not giving away any trade secrets here, are we? No, 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 no. This is uh, this is all this is all common. All right, cool. And and you're right. I mean, seventy five dollars a month to have all those amenities to have a world-class fitness center in your building. I mean, I can tell you that there's a building I know of, I'm not going to be specific, where, you know, even living in that building, it's almost $100 a month to belong to the gym. And I can tell you that that gym is not like what you guys are describing here. So it, it sounds like an incredible value for the residents and also incredible value for the developer. The charge, really, when you're looking at it, relatively speaking, towards a monthly rental bill, it's almost negligible. So I know you have CPAs that are probably taking care of all this. So it's not something that we're going to get into because I don't really know. And it's not necessarily your role to know. And we don't have a CPA here right now. But I, I do want to say to the listeners that, you know, that there's a possibility that this comes under the 
part of a building that can be included in cost segregation depreciation, which actually accelerates what the normal depreciation is on a uh, multifamily asset. So there's a benefit there to increase depreciation, which is a passive loss and actually shelters some of the income. So in addition to the additional value that we just spoke about, there's also the possibility to accelerate depreciation. What are the liability risks of amenity space and the impact on insurance costs? A lot of developers ask, is this going to be a liability for me? You know, what what are the risks? It's really such a small risk factor to have these in. I mean, it's you know, is, is somebody going to get hurt in the gym? Is somebody going to get hurt on the roof deck? You know, if we provide a grill, is somebody going to get hurt over there? Jeff, how do you look at things from, from that perspective on the developer side? Our insurance people, they're afraid of everything. When we look at something like this, like a gym, like you were saying, Vinny, it's, it's so relatively small that it's not something that we are nervous about in the totality of looking at a building. You're more nervous about slip and fall outside than you are, you know, one of your tenants having a problem in the gym space. But with that being said, we do protect ourselves. We include in all of our leases a gym rider that the building is providing the service and so, you know almost utilize at your own risk. I think even more than the insurance conversation I've had more frequently with developers is acoustical issues. They'll say, hey, Vinny, how is this going to affect the, the people living around it, above it, below it, that kind of thing, and what can we do to mitigate those kinds of concerns? That's a great point, Vinny. We're always concerned about how whatever we put into the building affects residents and their their lifestyle and quiet enjoyment. I do know, for example, that there's developments out there that are putting in CrossFits and there's a lot of loud movements and the residents were, were getting really upset with that. So what happened there? They had to mitigate the sound. The building developer had to invest more dollars in sort of separating those spaces so that it wasn't a nuisance to their to their tenants. So being aware of this up front, what are you doing in advance to make sure that you don't run into that? In some cases, we may hire an acoustical consultant that would help us design the space properly to kind of buffer the sound. For example, at Oriana, to give ourselves more of a sound barrier, we raised the floor 12 inches to sort of give a void space between the actual floor of the space and the the structural slab below to kind of give ourselves a little bit more of a buffer. So empty space actually creates a sound barrier? It helped. uh, We filled it with insulation. That 12 inches of like soft insulation, you could not hear sound coming through that space. What about the consideration for soundproofing in the rest of the building, not even around the amenity spaces? How does a developer deal with that in a new building as opposed to an older building? Space is a commodity in New York, so everyone's living right on top of each other, and you're placing as many apartments as you can on a floor. We take a lot of consideration and care in looking at the demising walls between apartments and how we insulate those, and two layers of sheetrock with insulation, and the code has a, a minimum requirement. We actually take it above that requirement. The apartment that I live in here in New York City in Manhattan actually is very quiet. And I've had other residents tell me that their apartments are not quiet. Why is mine quiet and theirs not? Depends on where you are sort of at the hallway. You could be adjacent to a major piece of building structure. For example, if your apartment butts up against a shear wall that's 24 inches or 36 inches thick, you're going to have that extra buffer. 
we really do pay a lot of attention to it. Like, you know, for example, at Oriana, where we encourage pets and not everybody has a pet. So, you know, somebody that has a pet, we don't want being annoyed by somebody that may have a pet. So we go above and try to make, you know, everybody have, a, you know, a great experience living there because it is, it's a community. Benny, let's talk a little bit about after the fact. What happens in a case where there's already a fitness amenity in a building and now you're being called in after the fact to make it better, to fix problems? What happens there? That's a big problem. Again, tagging on to the acoustical issue. A lot of the times you don't have that much of an option after the fact. Um, one of the biggest things that they could do is possibly adding in acoustical flooring and different levels of that. Um, and that can get extremely expensive. That could even trump the expense of the equipment in the in the facility altogether. But ultimately, you want to do whatever you can far in advance, so you don't have you mitigate that concern way in advance. And you can show somebody, look, you know, we did all this. We had these engineers come. We had these acoustical experts come. We did everything we can because I mean, in the end, they're going to want something off their rent. And what about the fitness equipment itself? The better commercial quality equipment has the best acoustical uh, considerations during engineering. But like Jeff mentioned before, if you start throwing in a CrossFit kind of environment with loose dumbbells and loose plates and people dropping stuff, that stuff travels to the whole building. And you have to take that into consideration in advance. You know, people think, oh, I'm in a cement building. You know, I shouldn't hear anything. Sound travels right through that building. It goes right up the walls. Yeah, you're 100% right. The sound really does. Um, it goes into the structure and then just falls right up the building. And somebody that's... 10 floors away could be hearing something like it was right next door. Vinny, how long does this equipment last? When we're looking at typical equipment, it's typically split between cardiovascular equipment and strength equipment. And strength equipment will basically last a lifetime. There's really very minimal wear and tear on that. And what's an example of strength equipment? A rack, selectorized equipment, a leg press, multi-press, things like that, dumbbells, plates. And then what about the mechanical equipment? So the cardiovascular equipment has a couple different factors built into it. We can use lighter commercial equipment if a facility is not expecting to get heavy usage. That'll give you up to eight hours of use a day. And then in bigger buildings like the Oriana, where we have more than a thousand tenants in it, we use full commercial equipment, which is much stronger, thicker frames, better acoustical values to it, a little better technology to it. So those things are expected to last a lot longer and they do. How long is that? I mean, does this stuff last a year, two years, three years? So from a depreciation and like salvage value standpoint, on that lighter equipment, we tend to give people a three-year estimate on any kind of salvage value at the end of that. When you start using that heavier full commercial equipment, you could see five years of salvage value and plus, depending on the overall usage. Jeff, what are you as a developer and an owner operator doing in terms of preparing for this three to five year, six year window? We get ahead of it. During our planning phase of the project, we not only look at the type of equipment we're going to put in, but also what the maintenance schedule is going to be, how often they're going to be have to be maintained. And, you know, we factor in usage and the number of tenants that are going to be utilizing the equipment. And that all plays into our calculations of how long the lifespan of the equipment is going to last. In that estimate of 5%, well, you had said 2 to 3%, and I said, let's be conservative, and I said 5%. Would that cover these maintenance costs that you're talking about and the replacement of the equipment as time goes on? 
No, those were outside of the number we spoke about earlier. So when we're looking at um, annual maintenance or replacement, we'll sort of take that as a separate line item. But for us, we also try to factor in what our hold period is going to be for the asset. If we're holding an asset for, let's say, three years after stabilization, we're hopefully circumventing the replacement if we maintain everything well. That's why we really get into a heavy maintenance program. Vinny, does Matrix offer a maintenance contract? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we service everything we sell. We're a completely vertically integrated company. So everything from research and development to manufacturing and sales and service, customer service, we do all of that. And uh, we can also do the preventative maintenance contract as well. So the owner can sign up for a contract, pay a specific amount, and then you'll come in on a periodic basis and look at, analyze, and repair if needed the equipment. That's correct. They could be completely hands-off. And with the newest commercial equipment technology that Slate uses at the Oriana, everything's going to be hands-off. Even the customer service aspect, if they ever get a problem on that equipment, it's completely autonomous. It's like an Amazon warehouse. We have a program called Asset Management. From the service and owner standpoint, any error code immediately gets transmitted to our headquarters in Wisconsin. And we know about it before Jeff does. Yeah, that was something that was really appealing to us when we when we started looking at matrix and, and the packages that we were looking at, because you know this is an investment for us and we're spending a sizable amount of money on these amenity spaces and the equipment. So we really want to sort of have them real time, tell us if there's anything wrong, if there's, if it needs maintenance, the worst thing you could do is have a gym with equipment that's down, especially if it's popular as it is in our building and tenants go up there and the equipment's down and that doesn't do well for the building. So we want to stay ahead of it. And that's what the really the smart technology of the equipment allows us to do. This way, a tenant doesn't have to go into the gym, find a piece of broken equipment. Matrix already knows that the equipment is broken and they're on their way to fix it, maybe before the resident even gets there to use it. Exactly. They're dispatched and it's already in process to get it fixed. With the power of social media today, and there's a lot of tenant Twitter accounts out there, and you don't want word getting around that, hey, you've got this uh, you know, amazing building, but the gym is always down. So we really, you know, we focus on that because we know that it's something that could really turn off a tenant. They go up there and the equipment's down. 100% agree. It literally is like a Zappos level customer service, something that really sets us apart. Jeff, from a developer's point of view, before you talked about the uh, stabilization period, after the stabilization period, maybe holding on to a building for three years. How long is that stabilization period? And describe to our listeners what that means. It's a great question, Bill. The stabilization period is what we consider the time period that it takes once we complete a building to we get to an occupancy level that you know we underwrote. And it doesn't necessarily have to be 100% occupancy, but you know you want to be in the 90s. That is a period of time that has a lot of factors affecting it, location, buildings, and more times than not, the market and what's going on in the market. You know, there's, there's a lot of competition out there, and we're finding that the, the stabilization period is taking a little bit longer. We have to incentivize our target renter. There's been a lot of talk in the real estate circles in New York about what level of concessions people are giving. No more is one month, it's now two months, and what other kind of things can we throw in to actually get the renter to sign a lease and look at our buildings? That stabilization period is, is longer than it has been in the past. You know, New York is a strong market and ultimately you don't have buildings out there that are sitting vacant for extended amount of time. It's just a really strong market and these buildings eventually get filled. 
going back to the existing building conversion and the fact that there are going to be people living in that building, and we know that New York City has rent stabilization laws, rent control laws, all under the umbrella of rent regulation. What happens there? How do you convert that building completely, put in these amenity spaces without displacing the existing tenants, which can't really be displaced? Whenever we look at one of these conversions, we really drill into what type of residency we have existing and how can we either work around them or offer them space in the new building. The name of the game is is really working with those people and getting them into the new building. So, you know, oftentimes before we, well in advance, before we start construction, we'll, we'll reach out to them and, and offer them a place in, in the new building. And we have a very large portfolio. So we have a lot of options that we can say, okay, if it's not going to be in the, in the new building, maybe we can offer you something in one of our other buildings. What percentage of people would you say go along with that? People want to stay where they are. So it's a very high percentage of people that actually stay. Most people are open to the opportunity of getting a brand new apartment versus staying in an existing sort of unrenovated apartment. But there are people that want to stay put and stay in the apartment that they lived in, and that's okay too. So you just let them stay in that apartment until they eventually vacate it. And then at that time, you, I guess you would renovate that apartment. That's correct. And, you know, we come up with plans that we work around them. We build as many as we can. And when they ultimately decide to leave, we take back and then we put that apartment into the business plan. And that apartment could still stay rent stabilized depending what the rent was and how much you can allocate to individual apartment improvements and I guess the major capital improvements that you've made in the building. Do you find that's that when people do vacate that where they want it to stay in place that you're able to remove it from rent regulation or sometimes the threshold not high enough and it's still rent stabilized? That's a lengthy process that really is to take it out of the rent-stabilized sort of realm. It, it all depends on, again, a lot of factors. Oftentimes, if the opportunity presents itself with minimal effort or pain, we'll go for it. And if it doesn't, we'll keep it in the, uh, the rent-stabilized. And then when people are agreeing to go to a new apartment in the building, are you also assisting them with the moving process? That's one of the tools that we use to help assist the negotiation, if you will. We'll move them, obviously give them an apartment that's equal to or better. We really do try to work with them to make the, the transition as, as painless and as seamless as possible. I would imagine that most of the time they're happy about this. The reactions never cease to amaze me. In the city of New York, you would think that a brand new apartment with phenomenal level finishes and high-end brand new stainless steel appliances is going to be... Uh, a no-brainer, but um, some people just, they're creatures of habit. They like their apartment the way it is, and they ultimately opt just to stay. Do you have a story that you can tell us? Like one story that you can say, yeah, we couldn't believe that this happened. We have a short, finite amount of time. We could be here all day with the stories that I have. But Yeah, how uh, about one? There was this couple. They'd lived there for years. They were just petrified to move one floor higher than they were. I don't know if it was necessarily a height issue or just they were, you know, they, they loved their apartment. They've been there for years and years and years and they opted just to stay. And, and you know what, it was kind of nice because they raised their family there. So I kind of understood. And so we gave them a really amazing hallway that they previously didn't have. They got a new hallway. That's kind of cool. But, you know, I guess that speaks a little bit to the psychology of people. And you said they raised their family there. And so that's important to them. I mean, those walls had sentimental value. They had memories. And 
part of the process of them moving out of the apartment would have been the renovation of that apartment. And that would have destroyed those walls. So I actually think that's kind of sweet. It's just one of those things where it helped us understand the people in our building a little bit more. And, and you're right, after I sort of started thinking about it and, and the time that they lived there, it did kind of click with me and we wanted them to stay. I guess the key word here and the word that you used in the last sentence was understand. And it seems to me that both of you, Jeff and Vinny, have really tried to understand your final customer, the human being, the person that's going to be your end user. And that helps you really stand out and set yourselves apart. Yeah, it does. When I was first into the business, one of my mentors told me that something that's it stuck with me for a long time, which was a vacant building is completely useless. So if you have a building with no tenancy, you could have the best building, the best development, but if you don't understand the, your end user, your tenant, it's basically all for naught. I agree. And one of the things I do on my end is see what trends in the marketplace we could use here. So I don't just take my hints from other buildings in the city, but rather other developments all across the country and across the world. Both of you are very successful. What would you say is the one or two things that you do on an ongoing basis that you have decided has to be part of what it is that you do, and you're consistent at it. Learn from every development that I do. I take something with me from that particular development that was oftentimes a painful lesson, and then I apply it to the next development that I do. I've done that all throughout my career since the early beginning, and it's really served me well because... I want to be able to develop the best building that I can, uh, I can develop. So I take those lessons and apply them. What Jeff just said, learn. As soon as he said that, it just rang off like a hundred bells in my head. I'm at the gym in the morning. I'm listening to a, a podcast or an audio book, taking cues from other people doing what I do in Australia or North Korea or England or anywhere else that we have affiliates and people that are spearheading you know, new things and new ideas business development and networking in this city using tools like social media and LinkedIn and things like that. It's how we all connected and met each other. I think that's also an incredibly incredible tool. And if you're not learning and if you're not networking and if you're not um, continuing to develop your business, you're going to be one of the ones that fall away. You're not going to be one of the leaders. I agree with you 100%. If you are not learning on a daily basis, if you get to a place where you think you know it all, then ultimately, you're not going to progress. And I think more so now than ever, because there is so much information that is coming at us on a daily basis. In some ways, that's really good because we have all this information available to us and it's easier to learn, but we also need to be able to decipher what to consume and what not to consume so that we can learn the right things and move forward. So with that, guys, I just want to say that this has been absolutely incredible. I love the fact that both of you traveled downtown to the financial district this chilly morning to be with me and Realty Speak and have this interview. And I hope all our listeners got a lot out of this, especially the developers and would-be developers uh, that want to include amenity spaces in their new developments and conversions. Now, I know some of our listeners may want to contact each one of you going forward. So Vinny, uh, just tell us, uh, how would you like people to contact you? Cell phone number, email address? 
Sure. My cell phone is 631-478-7505. My email address is vinny.saunders at matrixfitness.com, or you can also find me on Vinny Saunders on LinkedIn. Vinny Saunders on LinkedIn. And and you're, you're a big LinkedIn guy, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a little bit of an influencer on LinkedIn. Yeah? About 15,000 connections wow. right now. Wow. <laughs> He's a big deal. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that's definitely, I have a lot, but that's definitely way more than I have. <laughs> And Jeff, how about yourself? Uh, the best way to contact us is uh, check us out on Instagram, Sleep Property Group, or Oriana NYC. And um, all our contact information is, uh, is on, on uh, Instagram, so you can find us there. All right, great. And um, I'm going to put that in the show notes, everybody. So uh, if you didn't get a chance to write it down, you don't necessarily have to replay it because it'll be in the show notes. Well, thanks for that, guys. And I really appreciate you being here today. Thanks a lot, Bill. We really had a great time. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having us, Bill. We had a great time. There you have it. Hey there, everyone. Thank you for listening. I look forward to you joining in for the next episode of Realty Speak, the podcast. You can subscribe right on the player and choose your favorite platform like iTunes or Google Play Music, or just search for us on your favorite podcast app like Podcast Republic my fave on Android devices or Apple Podcasts for iPhone. And please share our show with others. Just choose share on the player and choose your preferred social media platform. Of course, you can always reach out to me via the website at billwidener.com. That's B-I-L-L-W-E-I-D-N-E-R.com. And remember, it's not about us, but how we help you make the bottom line rise. Until next time.